Patricia Nduli on SAFM. To give us more perspective on uh, today's IEC briefing, um, we are joined on the line by Grant Matterson, uh, Masterson, who is the uh, head of programs uh, at Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. Grant, thank you very much for joining us. Good morning, Patricia. Nice, nice to talk to you. Uh, very interesting briefing this, uh, because it still leaves a lot of questions for, for some of us. And I'm hoping that you'll shed some light and give us perspective and educate us on what exactly uh, is to happen. My first question is around, I mean, the role of the Minister um, uh, of uh, Cocta and uh, Corporate and, and, and uh, Traditional Affairs, Governance and um, Traditional Affairs, Minister Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma. What is her role? What are her authorities? What is her power? Because yesterday she briefed uh, the media and she spoke about the fact that she has no legal um, authority to make any uh, proclamations that changes the, 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 the date for the municipal elections, despite the Musaneke inquiry. So South Africa is a constitutional democracy. Uh, and what that means is that all uh, public figures, including ministers, including even the president, as we have learned recently, um, must at all times comply with the provisions that are set down in our constitution and the various acts that give effect to our constitution. So what Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, the minister of Cogta, was saying yesterday is that according to the way the constitution is written and set down, it is required of the minister to announce officially and gazette the election date within a period of 90 days from the suspension of the last term of five years. Uh, that means that the date that she announced, the 27th of October, falls just within that 90-day period. Uh, and she did, of course, note that at the time she is in support of the IEC's efforts to have the election deferred. She was not, by announcing this date, contradicting the efforts of the IEC, but she was bound by the Constitution because at this stage no act, no uh, um, court judgment, nothing has changed that gives her permission to ignore the Constitution. Now, the decision to uh, take this particular, um, you know, request by the IEC to the Constitutional Court versus um, Parliament being the one to make the decision, what came up with that? Well, the the Constitutional Court option is, I think, certainly the more linear, it's more direct. Uh, it achieves the necessary relief that the IEC is hoping it will get uh, in, in a less complicated fashion. So uh, the two options available to the IEC really were to approach the Constitutional Court or to approach Parliament and request that an amendment to the electoral legislation permits them to go beyond the 90 days. Now, the problem with the parliamentary process is that the, the, the parliamentary process takes a long time. There's always uh, negotiations and engagement between the various parties. So there's no guarantee that a successful outcome of, the, of that uh, process through Parliament would happen within the very, very short time frames available to the IEC. So the direct access to the Constitutional Court provides the second option, which is that the court can, as it has done for by-elections in the past, allow for a deferment of the election date. The other option that the IEC is exploring, as I understand it, is that if the, the court does not want to grant deferment, then they can at least suspend the order of violation. Any, any institution of government that uh, does not comply with the Constitution can have an order of violation uh, made uh, by the Constitutional Court or by any court 
uh, for failing to comply with the constitution. So the IEC would ask in that case, at least, at the very least, to defer that, the, the, the order of violation uh, to allow for them to continue with the elections in February. So where we stand now from uh, the briefing that we've heard is that uh, the IEC has already prepared all its documentation, signed them, and um, the affidavit is also ready. How long then will the process be for the Constitutional Court to to make a decision and uh, we as the public find out what will happen? So this is a a fairly well-documented process now. Uh, What the IEC has to do is they have to apply for direct access to the Constitutional Court Uh, You cannot simply just uh, lodge a case in the constitutional court. First, you have to show that the the court, uh, that there isn't a lower court that should perhaps hear the case. I think in this case, the IC should not have a problem gaining direct access to the constitutional court. But that's the first part of their application. The second part of their application will be that it is urgent, uh, which I think, again, should be very obvious. To, to all concerned why this needs to be an urgent, urgent application, given the short time frames that we have available to us. And then the third part of the application would be to argue the merits uh, of the deferment based on Mosaneke's report and based on the position adopted by the IEC. My understanding is that that, um, that uh, uh, application is going to be lodged very, very soon. And certainly it has to be lodged very soon, as I've said, because of the urgency in, inherent in this issue. Um, so we were, we we're expecting the IEC to lodge very, very soon. Sure. There's a lot of uh, questions that came from the media, but one that was quite interesting is uh, the one of the cost, the cost implications to have the election dates moved. I mean, from your perspective, Grant, do you feel that uh, the, the costs are justified that will be incurred? Look, I think that that matter has been decided upon as far as uh, Justice Mosaneke and his team are concerned. Uh, the IEC has adopted that report. And so in that report itself, what it weighed was uh, the, the three key rights that are provided for in an election. So the first, the first and most, uh, I won't say most important, but one of the rights, the first right is the elections are held in a regular and timely manner. So that's the five years plus 90 days requirement. But then there are two other, uh, other requirements, that the elections must meet free and fair standards, and of course, that the elections should not infringe on other rights of citizens that they enjoy according to the Constitution. In this case, the right to health and well-being and livelihood. So, you know, the, 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 the issue that faces the IEC, the issue that faces the court when they decide on this matter is how do you merge all of these rights? How do you find that way in which to achieve all of these rights simultaneously. It's a very, very tricky one. It is a tricky, tricky one. Um, maybe you've got questions here. Um, you know, you might want to ask uh, Grant around some of the issues uh, surrounding the 2021 municipal elections. You can call in on 011-714-2006 or even send a WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. SMSs go to 41391. Grant, with the current, um, you know, election um, date that we have right now, that has not changed, being uh, the date of October. Would it be feasible, I mean, looking at the health status of, um, you know, where we are with COVID-19 and uh, the the lockdowns that we're currently experiencing and the wave we're currently experiencing, would it be feasible for us to expect that October should still continue? Well, we've got to remember that when this process started, the IEC went on record early on saying, 
they believed that they were ready to hold elections on time within that period. So at this stage, no one is, is concerned about the IEC's ability to deliver elections in October. Uh, and so as I understand it, what's going to happen now is that the IEC is working from two simultaneous timetables. So there is a timetable that will lead up to the preparations for the elections in October, 27th of October, because the IEC itself is also bound by the Constitution until such time as they uh, attain the necessary relief. So the first timetable takes us to an election date of the 27th of October. Uh, and then they're working on a second, I suppose, theoretical timetable that would allow them then to talk about elections in February itself. But it's very important to remember the IEC has said this was not an issue. Them, them instituting Mossenecke's inquiry and them adopting the report is not a reflection of their preparedness. So I think we can be very confident that the IEC has known there were elections coming in October, and now the issue really becomes, is the IEC comfortable that it can deliver a free and fair election given the coronavirus pandemic, given the conditions that, are, that we're currently facing in the country? Knowing very well that uh, this pandemic is a moving target, uh, we can push forward to February, but how comfortable are we that we will be uh, you know, at a better place? Yes, we are going through the vaccination process, but this is a moving target uh, being uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Can we anticipate that if we are where we are right now and the Constitutional Court grants, um, you know, the moving to February, that if circumstances are the same in February, it might be moved again? Yeah, this is a very, very serious concern. Uh, and it's certainly, I think, one of the points that was made. Uh, ISA itself, during our submission to the Mossenecke inquiry, made this point as well, that there is simply no predicting. And I think all of the medical experts agree as well. Predicting the trajectory of the, the coronavirus pandemic is almost impossible. What was uh, a concern was the, the, rate of, the, the rate of vaccination in the country. Um, and so it was, I suppose, one of the, 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 the key elements of the medical advice given to Mostaneke and his team that at least whilst all other variables about the coronavirus would be unknown, that there is at least the possibility of a higher vaccination rate if you give the country more time in February than, uh, than you would have in, in October. So, so at least by February, we would have had more people vaccinated, which is at the very least one additional layer of safety. But predicting anything to do with this virus is extremely risky. And of course, the, the real risk of the election becomes, what do you do in February if we are, God forbid, in a worse situation than we were in October? That really does become very tricky because we cannot continue to delay these elections over and over and over. Sure, Grant, you know, one of the things that that I think we also need to consider is uh, the preparedness of the political parties, independent and not. um, You know, where are they sitting right now? Because they also need to prepare. They need to put forward their candidates for nomination and uh, the monies that they need to pay forward for all of this. So are are they, as political uh, parties, ready for whatever that may come? Yeah, I mean, that's a very important question. Uh, it was something that Mosineke uh, honed in on in his report. He looked at the, the fairness and the access in particular of smaller parties to campaigning under the current lockdown conditions. As we know, the, the, the lockdown limits gatherings. It places certain restrictions on, on all types of activities that might ordinarily 
allow for political parties to campaign, to get their message out there, to persuade voters that their party is the party that the voters should vote for. Uh, this is a very important part of the, the electoral process. Now, the issue here becomes, are the parties able to sustain? And, and of course, some parties will already have begun campaigning. Uh, some parties will have planned to finish campaigning by a certain date. And I think very rightly, as you pointed out, both the costs to the IEC and to the political parties, the longer we extend this, the longer we have to maintain our um, in the, the, the state of electoral campaigning. And that does come with both financial and human costs as we, as we prolong it. You know, the, the one thing that is always intriguing is the fact that uh, when we look at democracy in Africa, and that's what you, you deal with, right, at your institute, when we look at democracy in Africa, it, 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 sometimes we ask ourselves, with so many challenges and plights, is our democracy, um, you know, safe? <laughs> Especially when we look at COVID-19, what's happening around the continent, and then now the impact of COVID-19 with moving uh, election dates and all the upheaval that comes with it, is our our democracy safe? So I think that there's, there's a very important point to make here. And, and the short answer is yes, I think we can continue to have very good faith in South Africa's democracy and our institutions. It starts with the IEC. Uh, it starts with the, the government abiding by the constitutional provisions and the rule of law. And these are the bedrocks of our democracy. Uh, and there's nothing that I've seen in any of this process that suggests that we are going outside of the constitution, that we are trying to subvert process, that we are taking shortcuts. Everything that I see here has been done openly, transparently, with clear explanations. And I think it's very important to recognize that, yes, this is, a, this is an unprecedented, unanticipated situation. But we've seen the IC and the government respond according to the letter of the law. Of course, we also need to understand that in the context of the coronavirus pandemic, we are not the only country on the continent that has held elections or is trying to hold elections during the pandemic. And there have been many different responses. So as ISA, we observe elections across the continent, and we have seen uh, a real spectrum of very, very well-run elections under the coronavirus conditions. And we've also seen elections which have been severely harmed from a democratic perspective by the, uh, the state's response to the pandemic itself. Here's a question here from one of our listeners who says, how will the ill be catered for during these elections? Uh, the, the IEC has provisions within its uh, it's voting to allow for special voting. This special voting is not new. This special voting has always existed as a, a provision for the elderly, the infirm, those who are hospitalized. And, and what you have to do is you need to be a registered voter and you need to make an application on the IC's website or you go to the IC offices and you make an application to become a special voter. And therefore, if you are granted special voter status, then the IC will send an official ahead of the elections to collect your ballot and you will be able to cast your ballot even if you are elderly or infirm or unable to go to the polling station on election day. Let's uh, go to the lines. Remember, it's your opportunity. Ask your questions. Bring on your solutions. Uh, we've just come from uh, the live crossing where the IEC has uh, given uh, the media its um, a stance when it comes to the municipal elections for 2021. We are in conversation with Grant M Masterson, who's head of programs at the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy in Africa. On the line right now, I've got Piecha, and Piecha is calling from Sikhopepa. Good morning, Pierre. Good, uh, how are you, Mark? Strong, how are you? I'm good. You know, uh, I like uh, this platform to give me an opportunity 
to try and give the light to the world because now the world is in darkness. Okay, go ahead. Make it short, sweet, and precise. IEC, IEC is being dethroned because this process is just a waste of money and time while our people are suffering. I want the president to give each person in this country 100,000 because during recount, Navarak, Eid Mahashul, and Mutun is fighting. They created this pandemic, the ANC. Now, this government has been dethroned. You must see the evidence on PIA Development Agency videos. There is a message from the 29th December day. 2019, December on the 25th, is the, is the, is the answer to all the cracks of this ministry. The corona business, I love you, Donald Trump, America, and all these kind of stories. You see, with due respect, the ANC in the city has got no government anymore. Okay. Piecha, thank you very much. Uh, we've heard you loud and clearly. Let me go to Mark in Johannesburg. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning, uh, um, SFM. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a solution for you um, regarding the COVID and voting. Go ahead. I need you to run with it. I actually want to just let you run with it. Uh, can you just open up a Google page? Everybody who's listening can do the same. And type in the following. We're listening, Mark. Type in iodine nasal spray Australia COVID. Just those five words. You'll be, you'll be um, Google will give you a few web pages. Open up the web page for Firebrick Farmer. It's a nasal spray that kills COVID instantaneously. I sent this to the government and I sent this to Glamini Zuma and all her compatriots. They refused to put this on our market. But for voting, this, it, it, it will really assist in free and fair voting and eliminate COVID spread. Mark, is it available in South Africa and is it cost effective? The government can actually buy it directly from Australia or they can make it themselves. I make it myself. I actually got it in the car. You make it yourself? Okay, give us the ingredients then. It's on that page. <laughs> ah, all right. So you said it's iodine nasal spray. <laughs> yes. It's, oh. it's, it's called nas- nasal bean from Firebrick Farmer. Okay. The government has got it, but the only thing is they can't make money off this. Mm. So I don't think it's in their interest. But it's in their interest for, for you and me, it is. All right, so perhaps uh, a cure for COVID-19, because you say it kills it. This is what we could go for in order for us to be able to vote. Thank you very much, uh, Mark in Johannesburg. It's a very interesting uh, that both our callers, Grant, were giving solutions. Yes, different, but solutions. And it's good that South Africans are thinking about solutions because they want to make sure that our democracy is upheld. Yeah, I think um, the important thing is that elections are an opportunity for everyone to express their their voice, uh, for them to identify. In in local government, we have both political parties and we also have independent candidates that voters can vote for, which is, uh, I think, a lovely additional element of our democracy. And, and of course, you've got to remember that local government elections particularly have a a huge impact on the the daily experience of life in South Africa for citizens. So these these local government elections really do matter. I know we often think about uh, who we want as president of the country, who we want to see in our parliament, and those are very important institutions. But for our daily lives, local government and local municipality interact with us on a far more uh, sort of personal level. They handle the issues of sewerage. They handle the issues of electrification. They handle the issues of transportation and roads. And and these are uh, 
experiences that everyone in South Africa experiences on a daily basis and, and has some interest in seeing these, uh, these processes well managed. So it's lovely to see um, citizens getting involved. And I, and I really want to encourage all citizens who are registered to vote to, to prepare and to really uh, try and think carefully who they want to vote for uh, in the upcoming elections, whether they're in October or in February next year, because these elections are the opportunity for citizens to express their views at the ballot box. Most definitely, especially with all the challenges that we have seen after the Auditor General's um, report around municipalities. So this is local government opportunity um, to to elect uh, um, someone or a party that is going to be able to restore those municipalities, especially those who've um, not had such great reports from the Auditor General. I'm going to Anonymous now is in Cape Town. Good morning, Anonymous. Hello, good morning, Patricia. How are you? You and your guests and the listeners. We're strong. Go ahead. What's your comment or question? Yeah. Look here. I hear you. You are talking about the postponement of local government uh, uh, elections because of COVID-19 in South Africa. Understandable so. But now I want your guests to address something to us as the listeners. What is going to happen to the budgets of the municipalities if you are postponing the elections now? And then, as far as we understand, until to their period, then their budgets are supposed to come to an end. What is the impact that is going to have on the service delivery to the people when you are postponing the elections at the moment? When they are doing the amendment, they are going to cover that part of the budgets as well when it comes to the municipalities, so that we don't suffer at the end, we, the public, because of what is happening. We understand no one has got control because it's COVID period, and we understand what the judge, the Khang Masenega said, but at the very same time, the issue of, 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 of the financial management uh, act, whether it's going to be revisited as well when they are doing the postponement. And, and one more other issue, Patricia, I want to engage on. I know is not part of the topic you are talking about. I was so willing that I can have a piece of the pie that we're sharing this morning when it comes to this issue of circumcision. I'm coming from Eastern Cape. I'm a man. And, and I did circumcise. I did go to the mountain through the process as well. As far as I know, in our history and our understanding, the people from the former Pondoland region, they were not doing this custom before. Now, if you can look on the rate of people who are affected by the passing of the, of the boys in the mountain, it's coming from that side. Yes, it may happen that there are people in other regions, but that region is the, sorry, is the one that is mostly affected. Don't you think it is preferable that people from the other regions of the Eastern Cape which is the side of, 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 of this Kai region, then they can assist people on that side. And the headmen and the chiefs on that side, they can agree on that point, that this thing is new to them. It's not even 15 years, actually, if we understand. All right. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, uh, Patricia. Thank you very much, Anonymous. Uh, let me come back to Grant. Grant, uh, please uh, weigh in on uh, the comments that we've received and some of the suggestions, but also give us uh, your closing statements. Yeah, thank you, Anonymous. I think it's a, it's a very important question you ask about the budgets for local municipalities. And uh, Justice Mosaneke did actually, in his report, specifically mention this 
issue of the budgets for municipalities. The, the reason why we are looking at a February date, that date wasn't arbitrary. Justice Mosineke has proposed that date, taking into account the, the cycle of budgeting that takes place at local government. So the, the new budgets will be finalized in August next year, and that budget needs to be finalized by the new councils, not the existing councils whose mandate has run out. And so Justice Mosineke has identified February as the time which will allow us more time to, to get our house in order from a vaccination perspective, but also that does not impact on that budget. Very, very important question from Anonymous. Uh, I, I think that I'm very happy to leave it there, Patricia. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you. It's been such a great pleasure, Grant. We'll be following this one very closely. Sure, it's been a, a, a very packed show, and I did just say this. I made a promise and I kept it at the beginning of the show. It's been such a great pleasure, um, especially these three hours with you and uh, definitely looking forward to another edition with you um, while I stand in for Kathy Mutlatlane, obviously. Remember that uh, we are going up uh, to uh, enjoy Update at Noon with Sakina Kamwendo, where she'll be giving you an array of topics, and I'm sure you'll enjoy engaging with her. It's been great from the team and I, uh, Patrick on technical, Lebo and Gwenzagile on uh, content, alongside with Vusana as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. May goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success.